I've had one of those mornings. Uh, woke up this morning with a kink in my neck. I don't know if you guys get those from time to time. It gives you a little headache that comes up over. And then I received the call about Steve passing this morning. And I just found myself distracted and um, kind of hard to stay focused. I uh, remember a, a trip uh, that I took. Um, I'm not sure how many of you guys know Multnomah Falls, um, but it's out on the Columbia River. And um, had a youth worker friend of mine. Uh, he wanted to show me something that would change my my perspective in life. And and so we we hiked up this portion of the trail. And then he blindfolded me and he said, "I want to. I'm going to lead you." this last 50 to 100 feet up this hill, and uh, just stay attached to me, and when we get there, I'm going to show you something. And so we hiked and climbed, and I'm blindfolded, which I don't know if you guys like rock climbing blindfolded, but not not recommended. Um, but we get up, and, and he's has me carefully sit and position myself, um, what I found out later to be on a cliff, and uh, he takes off the blindfold, and we're looking over the gorge, like somehow up that trail, there was an edge that we were able to climb out and get on this edge of a rock face that you could see, as far as I could see, down both directions, the gorge and, and the, the whole river. It was, it was epic. It, it wasn't a small thing. It was profoundly impacting in my life. And it, it was a perspective that you couldn't, I, I just couldn't see because of trees and everything else, even when I was up on top of the waterfall. Now, I think our disciples, the disciples with Jesus, the three that we're going to see this morning, I think they are experiencing something similar to this, but so much greater uh, in their experience with Jesus today. Um, and ultimately, uh, as I was challenged this week, um, actually, I'll, I'll, as we go through, I'll, I'll share with you more of, of how this has impacted me this week, but it's been a great uh, encouragement and, and just a reminder of, um, of who Jesus is and uh, that he's more than just a man. He's more than just a good man, more than just a prophet. And uh, we're going to see that today. Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 2. And as we begin to read this, I want to remind us what the last couple of uh, weeks have been. Remember that we're, uh, we're watching Jesus teach his disciples about who he is and, and that he's going to have to suffer and be raised again and that to follow him, it's extremely costly. It, it'll cost you uh, your whole life to, to truly follow Jesus and that we need to have our eyes on the things of God and not on the things of man. And it's in that context that Jesus is continuing to teach, and we see him then taking his disciples in Mark chapter 9, verse 2, uh, just three of them. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves, and he transfigured before, and he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah and Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, 
They no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves quietly or questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how is, is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? Uh, but I tell you that Elijah has come and they did to him whatever they pleased as it is written of him. Would you pray with me real quick this morning? Father, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you for, um, God, how it is alive and active and how when we apply our hearts to it, it changes us. It has the ability to go in and, and deal with attitudes and hearts and, and issues from within. What a truly amazing gift that you have given us in this. I pray this morning as we consider it, Lord, you would open our eyes. Help us to see even in a glimpse, what the disciples saw of you, Lord Jesus, on the mountain that day. Pray that you would open our eyes to see you for who you are. In your name, amen. First thing that we see, I think it's a great principle. If you are in the presence of the Lord and you don't know what to say, just don't talk. Just a suggestion. I tend to get in trouble when I get into spots that I'm nervous and my mouth starts running and then I say things that I shouldn't. And it always gets me in trouble. It's interesting, don't you think, that Peter engages in this process? And of course, it's Peter who jumps out and makes a suggestion. Uh, we're not going to spend a ton of time on some of the details in here because there are many. Um, and, and yet, I, I think there's a couple of key things that we really need to look at today. Now, the first thing is that Jesus takes three up on a high mountain. There's this, there's this interaction, and, and I know, you know we've seen in, in other gospel accounts that Jesus gets away from his disciples at times, and he goes up into the mountains to pray, and he spends a lot of time with his Father. And there's a, a similar activity that happens uh, way back in Exodus 34 that we're going to look at in just a minute, so you can start turning your Bibles to Exodus 34, verse 29. Um, but it, we're, we're actually going to interact with Moses in the Old Testament and how he's interacting with God, because there's some some similarities that we're going to actually see today in the text. And so Jesus takes them up on this high mountain to go and meet with God the Father, and Moses and Elijah are there. Some of the things that are similar uh, to this account is that, one, they're on a high mountain. Moses went up, and when he interacted with, with God um, in, in Exodus 34, 33 and 34, he was up on a high mountain, and it, it's an incredible thing that happens for him. Uh, there's smoke coming down. It's, it's a very similar scene, and it appears that the presence of God is the reason that it's similar. Um, look in verse, uh, chapter, uh, Exodus 34, verse 29, and we're going we're gonna to see some pieces of this uh, in Moses' interaction. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that his skin, the skin of his face, shone because he had been talking with God. Let that sink in for just a little bit. Moses was talking to God, and he came down, and his face was glowing. It was shining. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. 
When Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with him. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he had commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of his face, but Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. So Moses, as he's up on the mountain interacting with God, just the, the experience of being in his presence in, in the relationship that they had, his face shown to the point where he had to be covered up for the sake of the people. And it appears that this continued as often as Moses went in and spoke with the Lord and spoke with the people that he, he, was, he walked around with this problem of shiny skin, which, would, man, if we could bottle that today, right? But here in the presence of God, we see, we see this happening, and it's an incredible thing. Jesus ends up shining. He, he, is, he is radiant and intensely white. In verse 3, it says, As no one on earth could bleach, his clothing became bright, brilliant white, as no one on earth can bleach. The, the writers, and I'm, again, we believe that Peter is the one that's sharing with Mark this story. He's trying to describe for him something that's indescribable. And so the best that he could do is to say it's, it's white beyond what anything that we could ever do. This is more brilliant than anything I've ever seen on this earth. Nobody could reproduce this because it was that amazing. It was that big. It was that incredible. So we see in the similarities that, that the disciples are watching somebody radiate again, uh, similar to what Moses did. The other interesting thing is that he only takes three of his disciples up with him, isn't it? He takes Peter, James, and John. He takes the three close ones, what people have called his, his inner circle, um, and he takes them up for this particular moment of instruction, this, this, this invitation to see him, and I believe to get a glimpse of who Jesus really is. What an incredible moment. It's in that moment in the text, it's interesting, isn't it, that it just says, and he was transfigured. He went from being normal to being radiant and, and shining. And, uh, and so it's, it's in that moment, I want to look at a couple of the differences between this moment with Moses up on the hill and what we see in Jesus. One of the key differences is, I think, is that we notice that Moses' face shone, right? And he could cover it up. What does what uh, Mark tell us about Jesus, his clothes became radiant, intensely white. His, radiate, his radiance, his brightness was all-encompassing. Even what he was wearing became brilliant, brilliant white. I believe that one of the key reasons for that is that Jesus was actually the source of that radiance where Moses was merely just reflecting God. And I want to show you what reflecting it was. In, in uh, Exodus 33, verse 12, it's not too far away from where we're at, but you, you have to see this interaction between God and Moses. It's just incredible and in, in how God interacts with Moses in response to this. And we'll get, we're going to get to the fact that Moses and Elijah are there, which I think is incredible as well. 
but hang with me on this. Exodus 33, verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom he will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight, please show me your ways, that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, this, uh, consider too, that this nation is your people. And he said to my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us, so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do, do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on a rock. And while my glory passes, I will put you in a cleft of the rock. I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face you shall not see. The word, when he says, I will pass by you um, and, and uh, with all my goodness, uh, it is, it is the, be- it's the, the Hebrew word is, it's the best of him is going to pass by him. That's, that's the word. Um, and that he's going to de- de- claim before him his name as Yahweh. I love Moses' request of God. Show me your glory. I want to know you. Show me your ways that I would... Find favor in your sight. And God presents him with this opportunity, and, he, and he's going to go by, and, and Moses gets to see the back of him, the back of God. Somehow, somehow there's less impact with the back of him, but he glows for the rest of his life. Doesn't that, I mean, hello? That's a pretty big thing. He's looking at the back of the glory of God and it reflect, it, the radiance on his skin, he has to cover his face for the rest of his life. And it's the back of God. It's somehow the safe part of him. And he experiences this process and Moses radiates and he comes, then he comes down. When we get to 34, he comes down and every time that he's sharing with them, when the people saw him, they were terrified of him because of the reflection of God on his skin. This is an incredible thing. And here the disciples are getting a glimpse of that Jesus. Can you imagine how dumbfounded they were at this moment? I mean, we saw Peter's response. He's like, Duh. Uh, this is good, right? You want a tent? 
You guys want to stay for a while? You see what he, I mean, he's struggling to understand what to say. Now, I, let me say in Peter's defense, there is a, there's actually a, a festival called the Harvest of Booths where the people would come out of Israel, they would make a tent and they would go and spend a week in that celebrating, remembering what God did, moving them out of Egypt. That was the whole point. So they would, they would remove themselves from their, wherever they were staying and they would stay in a, in a tent or a booth because it would help them to exalt God for what he had given them, for reminding them of all the time that they spent in the desert being removed from Egypt and living in tents and, and traveling and, and being nomads, really, and being led by God to the promised land. So, uh, you know, I'm wondering if Peter's not thinking, okay, a God thing, I've got to come up with something. Maybe he had read something about the tabernacle or the booze or the, that. I, you know how we are sometimes when we're reading the Bible and God does something, we're like, oh, this is important. You guys do that, right? Okay, good. Man, I thought for a second, <laughs> I was talking to the wrong crowd. The disciples get to see a glimpse of who Jesus is, who he is. And that's this moment. Look with me, would you, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul talks about this. He actually references Moses here as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. Since we have such a hope, I should back up. Um, Paul is sharing the new covenant, and he's discussing in chapter 3 how the, the, the Moses and the Israelites, he, he's interacting with that, the law of Moses, and then he's, he's shifting gear to this new covenant that comes through Christ, and that's where we pick it up in verse chapter 12, or uh, uh, verse 3 of, uh, yeah, verse 12 of chapter 3 in 2 Corinthians, there we are. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened, for to this day when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because only through Jesus is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You and I, in the freedom that comes through Christ, get to experience and see the glory of God. And because of that experience, because of what Jesus is doing in us, we are being transformed into the same image by one degree of glory to another. We're in process, and the disciples get to see this, and they, they're, they're standing on this mountain with smoke, and, and Moses and Elijah are there, and they're talking with Jesus, and they're interacting with him. And then, and then God speaks out of that cloud. And, and, and I think the disciples are responding correctly to that, right? The disciples, Peter's response is actually right to be a little dumbfounded, not sure what to say for the disciples to be terrified at this moment is probably the right response. It seems to be most people's response in the Old Testament when they come into the presence of the Lord. In fact, we're going to see in the New Testament in just a minute, similar responses to God showing up or one of his messengers showing up. 
In verse 7, we actually see the Lord speak into this. Now, we have reference to that, right? Because in Mark chapter 1, we actually saw at Jesus' baptism, God came down and said, Behold, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Right? That we saw his, the, the initial baptism of Jesus. God shows up, the heavens part, and they hear this voice. It's very interesting in this particular text in Mark, though, there's a piece that's added. Not only is Jesus more than a prophet, he is the son of God, as stated in Mark chapter 1, verse 11, and also stated here in, in verse 7. But we are called to listen to him. Did you see that? His disciples are instructed in verse 7. It says this, And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. Incline your ear, which, again, I, I just love how, how this is all connected. We're going back to the Old Testament. You have to see this. It's just incredible to me. I, I, love, I love the sovereignty of God and how he did things in the Old Testament that are, that are affirmed in the New Testament. And look in Deuteronomy chapter 18. I know we haven't been in that book for a while. It's way towards the front. Moses is wrapping up his ministry here on the earth, and he's given the disciples instruction and things that are coming. And look at what he says in Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. It says this, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Isn't that incredible? Moses, as he's going out, gets a word from the Lord saying, I've got a prophet coming who's going to be, he's going to speak my words. He's going to be like you. In fact, I used to kind of hassle the uh, Israelites. I kind of felt like they really blew it when they said, well, no, we don't want God to be our God because they were terrified of his voice and of, his, of the fire. And I thought, man, what idiots? Why would they reject God? And yet here we see Moses is saying that the Lord goes, yeah, they got it right. They actually began to see me for who I was they actually begin to get a good glimpse of who God is in his holiness, his righteousness, his power. And they understood it and they said, whoa, we're undone in his presence. I believe that they gained a right fear of God. The disciples, I think, respond correctly here because Jesus is more than just a prophet. He is the Son of God, and they're instructed to listen. Don't you love these guys? You watch them come down off this mountain, and you're just like, way to go, boys. You got it. Right? Isn't that what the text said? As they were coming down the mountain, he charged them not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning, what is this rising from the dead? What does this thing, rising from the dead might mean? And they asked him, why do the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And 
And how is it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. The disciples are struggling to get this. I, I do think it's, it's kind of interesting. This is the first time we actually see Jesus specifically reference until he's raised from the dead, right? We've watched him tell the disciples, don't tell anyone, don't tell anyone. Don't. We've seen that several times in the Gospel of Mark. But here he says, until you see the Son of Man raised from the dead. So he's given them a timeline. There's a, t- there's a time coming. There's something to look for. It's going to happen. And you get, then you can start telling everybody. So this idea of, of them getting to talk about this is, is, is building here in Mark. And yet the disciples, they still don't understand the kingdom of God, do they? They're still not, they just don't have their heads around this. Look in Acts chapter one. I, I just love these guys. They're, they're such an encouragement to me. Acts chapter one, verse six. So we see the promise of the Holy Spirit coming, and, and this is Jesus. He's getting ready to ascend into heaven, and this is the disciples' question of him. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you come at this time to restore the kingdom to Israel? You guys see that? They're like, okay, so now we've, I mean, we've gone through, you've died, you've raised it, you're, you're up from the grave. Is it now? I mean, we still get to be at your right and left hands, right? We're still going to be important in the kingdom now. What does he say? It is not for you to know times or seasons that the father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is just me. I'm just guessing, but I'm wondering if it wasn't Moses and Elijah who came back. The two guys, I mean, we're going to see in just a second that there's other messengers that are sent and they're identified as angels at different times. And Moses and Elijah were identified here in Mark. It's just, it may or may not be. It's just, I think it'd be kind of fitting if they were to be the ones that were there with Jesus when he went home and then to be there going, uh, hey boys, what are you doing? You were given instruction. What's really interesting, this is in Acts, it's actually the account of the, the Great Commission. It's when Jesus goes up and he tells them to go and make disciples. And, and I'm going to send you out to be my witnesses in all these areas. And the disciples are still struggling to understand this kingdom of God thing. And I love the fact that the boys bring up Elijah at the end. Can you just, I don't know if you guys have ever done this, but when you're in a tight situation, you're not understanding something, have you ever tried to redirect have you ever tried to like to just change directions a little bit? But Lord, I don't understand because, uh, I mean, there's people saying that Elijah is supposed to come first. They're trying to get their head around what's happening and what Jesus is displaying about who he is. And I think it's interesting that in the text, they actually start going back to the Old Testament prophets because they're seeing something about Jesus that they know is bigger than what they've been expecting or what they've been experiencing so far. They're, they are beginning to have their minds open to go, Wow, there's more here than what we expected. There's more happening. I want to show you just, this, the, I, I think it's the answer to how Jesus responds, right? He says, Elijah has come. 
And, and it, it is true. And Elijah does come first to restore all things. And he says that Elijah has come and they did to him whatever they pleased. I, I think that part of what we need to look at is in this, in this process is obviously John the Baptist, um, because I think that we will be able to see that John the Baptist was the prophet who was coming and, and, and did this particular thing like Elijah is called to. And I believe that the disciples are often like us, and they were probably looking at the end times, right? They were probably thinking, final kingdom, the prophet's coming, Elijah's going to be there, everything's going to be great, we're restoring the kingdom back to Israel, which is interesting in their wording, right? Are we going to restore it back to Israel? Or is it God's kingdom going to be restored back to the Lord? Yes. There's a ton that we could do on that, which we won't do this morning. But what about Elijah? I want you to see something that I just thought was incredible this week. Uh, in, in Luke chapter 1, verse 8, we actually catch up with uh, Zechariah who's going in to fulfill his duties as a priest. And this is when John the Baptist has prophesied to him. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 8. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at that hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John, and he, <clears throat> excuse me, and you will have the joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the, uh, disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went home. John's come, and John the Baptist, he's, pro- he's prophesied about. And I love that, that Gabriel, in his defense, when, when uh, Zachariah challenges him, he says, I stand in the presence of God. I'm giving you a message from the Lord. How could you question whether it'll happen or not? Surprised he didn't say, have you heard of Abraham? I mean, that pro- I don't know if it would have been helpful for him, but... But here's something that's really, really cool. And this is, I don't, I don't know if it's just a history thing or not. But 400 years before, somewhere around 400 years before Jesus showed up, one of the last prophets wrote a a couple of things down. And I want to read them for you this morning. 
as we think about how God works and how magnificent he is and how he, how he can work outside of time and, and, and this spectacular story that the disciples are experiencing up on this mountain, it's a God moment revealing the, the, the true identity of the Son of God filled with glory. I mean, he radiated the glory uh, to the point where it even changed and transformed his clothes. But I want you to see what Malachi says. It's, it's the last book in the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 4, verse 4. You could read the whole chapter. wouldn't take you very long. It's only six verses long. So if you want to go back and grab it, you can. In verse 4, it says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. What was John the Baptist supposed to do? He was... The Gabriel said, I'm, your son is going to be the guy that turns the hearts of the fathers back to their children and the, 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 the children's heart back to their father. He specifically references Malachi in this prophecy of, of, of John the Baptist showing up. And so here you have at the end of the New Testament, you have Moses and Elijah, or the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah referenced in the coming day of the Lord. And here the disciples are standing on a mountain with Moses and Elijah and God and Jesus, Jesus radiating, and, and the, guy, the disciples are going, oh, what are we looking at? Who is this that we're following? You know, I've been dealing with some uh, just normal life issues. I don't know if you guys have them. Do you drive a car? You know, some of what's changed in my life this week is that when I've been dealing with some of those issues, I've actually been asking myself, um, would it matter if I, was, if I actually saw Jesus in his glory today? Like, could I keep doing this action, this attitude, this this particular, if I was standing, watching him in his glory. If this is the son of God and he's seated at the right hand and he's interceding for me as his child, could I keep on with this attitude right now? If I really understood that? I got to tell you, it is, it is really rocked um, my life in dealing with some, dealing with stuff that normally I just kind of like, oh, I'll ask forgiveness later. I don't think that. Let's just, I just, I don't, I don't like look at sin and go, no, I'll ask forgiveness later. I just realize that's what I actually do, right? Uh, It's not, I'm not intentionally doing that. That would be bad. Um, But I realize afterwards, I'm like, that's what I just did. Oh my goodness. And so as I've been wrestling with challenges this week, I've actually been trying to, in my head, go to the mountain and see Jesus dazzling white radiant beyond what we could possibly do on this earth and say, is that, is that the God that I'm, is that who I know? Am I like Moses that I'm engaging with the Lord and saying, God, I want to know you. Man, can I, I want to see your glory. I want to know you. I don't think I think that way very often. Probably because most of what we interact with 
in our lives is just normal. It's everyday stuff. And I don't think we see Jesus as being more than just a good man. I mean, I know we do, right? Because otherwise we wouldn't claim to be Christians. It wouldn't make any sense. If he really wasn't the son of God, didn't die on the cross and be raised, what's the point, right? It'd just be a goofy religious experience. But in the midst of the difficult things of life and the challenges, the things that are wrecking our lives, do we really see Jesus as being the son of God? Sitting at the right hand in blazing glory, able to be in the presence of God, the father and see all of who he is because he is God. Do we really see him that way? And the reality is, I think that we at times struggle just like the disciples do. We see life and we see experiences and we try and understand God. Well, but Lord, uh, I love this one. You made me this way. Yeah. I don't think we should blame him for that. Ephesians says where his craftsmanship prepared for good works in Christ Jesus. <laughs> That's Salem. He's one of our neighbor cats. Any of y'all have issues with distraction? <laughs> can you imagine? Can you imagine for just a second what the disciples were going through watching Jesus change right before their eyes and realizing that cats exist? Headaches exist. Death exists. Traffic exists. All of these things in our life are really there and they're really tangible and they really hurt. They really impact us. And yet they're standing with Jesus thinking that it was going to be a normal day. Cool. We're going off with, we're going off with Jesus. We're not going to probably talk about kingdom things. Uh, maybe we're going to talk about which, who we're going to be in charge of when we get to the kingdom. They're thinking about normal life stuff. And then there's a cloud and Jesus begins to radiate and Moses and Elijah show up. It had to have rocked their world. I think the challenge that I've been wrestling with is, God, have you rocked my world? Have I seen you? I apologize for getting a little teary-eyed. I had some time with Steve this week. And to watch him be ready to go home and still care for his, his bride and his, and his kids. But he was ready to go home. Just wonder if we've been rocked by the presence and glory of God. It seems like all we got to do is ask and he shows up. Maybe our lives are too good. Maybe we don't need him. Maybe we're not interested in him actually rocking our world because it would require us to pick up our cross and die to ourselves daily. But I think we should probably think about that. And we should probably make a decision 
if we're really going to claim to be his children, if we're going to claim to be followers, then we should probably at least make a decision. Do we want to know him? Do we want to see his glory? Father, as we consider that this morning, in my eyes I can still see Steve smiling and crying at the same time. Because he's going home to be with you. And he deeply loved people here. Father, the reality is, is that uh, I've been really wrestling in my heart and my own heart with wanting to see you for who you are. Wanting to know Jesus, my Savior, for this magnificent, radiant Son of God that was present on this mountain with the disciples. Father, I pray that this week you would not let us live in mundane complacency. But that by your grace and through your love and kindness and Lord willing gentleness, you would rock our worlds. Open our eyes to your word and to who you are. That we would not be the same. God, I pray that you would help us to pull our eyes off of ourselves. And to live for you. To live for you. May you be glorified in the worship of your church this week as we spend every moment, every day, giving back that moment to you because we've got to be reminded over and over. But God, we want you to have all the glory. We give you the praise this morning in your name. Amen.